Come on. Welcome to Money Savage, a savage approach to personal finance. This is George Grumbacher, and the time is right. Welcome to today's guest, strong and powerful Kevin Kelly. Kevin, are you ready to do this? Absolutely. Happy to be here. Excellent. Let's do this. Kevin is a CFA and a principal with Delphi Digital, a firm producing unbiased, actionable content on critical themes affecting digital assets and distributed ledger technology. I'm excited to have you on. Kevin, tell us a little bit about your personal life, some more about your work, and why you do what you do. Absolutely. Yeah. Thanks for having me. So as you mentioned, uh, I'm a co-founder of Delphi Digital. So it's an independent research and consulting firm. I'm really dedicated to this this rapidly evolving world of blockchain-based digital assets, right? Or crypto as it's more kind of formally known um, in many circles today. Um, but I actually began my career back at, uh, at Bloomberg as an equity analyst um, after graduating with a degree in finance and, and economics from the University of Dayton. Um, go UD. Uh, and, you know, when I was in college, I really started to develop a, a passion for financial markets, especially the stock market. Um, and I love the challenges, kind of finding new investment opportunities. And what started off, you know, really as a personal hobby, ended up becoming my career choice when I joined Bloomberg. Um, and so while I was during my time there, I, I actually moved over to the U.S. equity strategy team for Bloomberg Intelligence, uh, which is the research arm of Bloomberg LP, for, for those who aren't familiar with it. Um, and I, I joined them back in the spring of 2017. Um, and basically there I was responsible for, you know, uncovering different investment ideas and opportunities in the global equity markets. Um, and, and while I was there, it's kind of funny, another passion ended up turning into a different career choice. Um, I, I became pretty passionate about the potential for, you know, cryptocurrencies and digital assets. Um, and so as of uh, a couple months ago, I actually recently just launched this firm, Delphi Digital, um, and wanted to start a research and consulting firm, you know, really dedicated to this nascent market. Nice. And it's, it's so interesting because digital assets, Bitcoin has been around for quite a while. Um, what was the tipping point for you, if, if you can point to a tipping point where you said, you know what, I, I, man, I, I, I love the stock market, but I'm, I'm super excited about digital assets. And I think that it's going to be a legitimate thing mainstream. I'm, I, I think I want to make a move. Was, was there something that, that, that really pushed you that way? Yeah, I, w I would say it wasn't necessarily one, you know, kind of um, euphoric moment that was a tipping point. But over time, what I really started to get intrigued by was not necessarily just Bitcoin, and you know, traditional cryptocurrencies. And I'll, I'll break down kind of the way in which I'm seeing this ecosystem develop in, in a minute. Um, but when you think about Bitcoin, I mean, that's the most famous tr uh, cryptocurrency. It actually just celebrated its 10th birthday, as you as you mentioned, you know, it's been around for quite a while. It celebrated its 10th birthday last week. So it's been around for a decade now. Um, but what really intrigued me was kind of the second um, ecosystem of crypto assets that has really started to develop. Um, that's that's more around the Web3 idea, the Web3.0 idea. And this whole idea um, basically stems from if you think about how the, the Internet's evolved over the last couple of decades, um, the apps that run on top of, of the Internet, right? You can think of your, your Facebooks, your Amazons, um, very, very innovative companies, innovative products. But the way in which they've kind of evolved is they've became, they became these vast powerhouses of centralized data, of, of customer data. And so a big argument for the need for Web 3.0 is to kind of put the control back into the customer 
put the control of the, the customer's hands back into the people who are actually providing this type of data um, and make that, you know, decentralized. And decentralization is a huge, huge concept in the world of, you know, blockchain-based digital assets and crypto. So what really did it for me was just this new kind of fascinating way to start thinking about how companies could develop different business models um, around, you know, blockchain-based technology and incorporate some type of crypto token or coin aspect of things um, that historically, you know, is a bit unprecedented. Um, so the, the, the kind of take a step back at three kind of ways in which I'm seeing this market evolve now is one, the traditional cryptocurrencies, like you mentioned, Bitcoin being the most famous. This is really, you know, your peer to peer transacting transactions, exchanging value peer to peer um, that are, that are aiming to replace or at least uh, complement, you know, traditional fiat currencies like the US dollar, the euro, et cetera. The second classification or wave is kind of around this web 3.0. And that's where you get um, things like Ethereum and Ether, you had that whole uh, initial coin offering boom in 2017. Um, that's kind of where a lot of this, you know, uh, excitement stems from. And this third classification that's actually more recently developing, but is something that we've seen a lot of uh, enthusiasm over in, in recent weeks, uh, I should say recent months, is um, this idea of security tokens. And so essentially creating fractional ownership for at real world assets, right? So think real estate. Um, tokenizing these in a way in which you can actually broaden the investor base, right? So I think a good example here is, let's say you want to invest in Manhattan real estate, but you don't have, you know, the money or the capital um, to be able to actually go out and buy, let's say, a condo or even a small apartment, studio apartment in Manhattan. There's companies now that are actually going in and tokenizing um, this real estate so that you'd be able to buy pieces of it, right, in a much more affordable fashion, especially for your more, you know, kind of retail investors that want to have you know, the diversification benefits of real estate, but maybe don't necessarily necessarily, you know, they want a little bit more exposure to the underlying asset itself compared to, you know, a real estate investment trust or a REIT as they're known in the equity world, for example. So there's a number of different ways in which these these crypto assets as a whole are really starting to develop. And that's kind of the, the, the moment that really got me excited about this space was just all the different possibilities and ways in which you can start designing different incentive systems um, based on, you know, blockchain technology um, and tokens and coins and, and that whole aspect. Brave new world, Kevin Kelly. Yes, sir. <laughs> All right. So nice. All right. So the security token, this idea of a fractional ownership, let's just use an example to, to help me better understand it. Let's say that mm -hmm. uh, I wanted to, let's say, okay, so the person who owns the Empire State Building, let's just say that it's one person. Do they, right. do they decide to, 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 to make some kind of an offering, almost like an IPO on the building in the form of security tokens? Right. So it's, yeah, it's a, we'll use that as a great example. So if you were the you know owner of the Empire State Building, you could, let's say, tokenize either part of it or the entire building. What I mean by tokenize is basically create tokens that represent actual ownership in that building. Right. So if you invest in real estate, you're entitled to, you know, the, the cash flows that can come from that. If you think about, again, going back to the equity markets, REITs, they pay out a huge portion of their profits and dividends to the actual underlying um, equity holders. So it's, it's basically taking this token concept and making it much more um, fungible and transferable among, you know, people, retail investors, kind of broadening that base, making it more accessible. And at the same time, you would have, if you held, let's say, 100 Empire State Building tokens, you would have actual, you know, ownership or, or equity, potentially equity ownership represented in those tokens for whatever that asset is got it so is it a good way to think about it that that it makes it more liquid 
Yeah. So liquidity, unlocking the liquidity premium for a lot of these traditionally um, more illiquid assets is one of the big, big uh, arguments for why security tokens would be necessary. Um, there's a number of, uh, you, you know, what we try and do, you know, at our firm is we're very, very constructive on the space, but we also want to be the realists in the space, right? I think there's a lot of euphoria and a lot of excitement around some of these things, but at the same time, you know, so if you're going to go down, let's say, a security token route. There's a lot of regulation. There's the SEC. You have to abide by um, the current regulatory standards, you know, in order to issue these things in a, um, you know, regulatory compliant way, right? So when we go back to this kind of real estate example, um, the the really, you know, the big argument for liquidity is that yes, if you're trading these illiquid assets, you now could get kind of in and out of the. 100 or 200 Empire State Building tokens very, very kind of readily and easily um, because these secondary markets will, you know, eventually um, be created to trade these these security tokens, these digital assets. And you would be able to have, again, that kind of liquidity premium unlocked because you would have investors, the investors would have the ability to, again, easily get in and out of these assets without worrying too much about price slippage um, or things of that nature. How far are, are we talking about? before this potentially becomes a reality on the Yeah, camp. so, yeah, great question. So I was actually out at a, uh, an investment conference, a crypto investment conference a couple weeks ago out in Los Angeles, and they had a, an entire track, um, which was about five hours or so of different sessions solely dedicated to security tokens. So I would say the community itself is very, is moving very, very quickly in this space. I think we're, the juncture we're at now is people taking a step back understanding what security tokens, you know, the differences between those and issuing traditional equity um, and uh, the secondary markets, as I mentioned, for actually trading those things, right? So if you're a retail investor and you wanted to go out and actually buy part of the Empire State Building, if it was tokenized, you'd have to have a market in which you could actually go out and do that, right? That's going to be one of the benefits of unlocking this kind of liquidity premium. Those aren't necessarily there yet, but we're talking a number of teams that are actually laying the foundation and the infrastructure to be able to host um, and trade and, and have uh, secondary market trading for these assets. So if I had to put a kind of a timeline on it, I would say within the next six months or so, you should really see you know some of these security token offerings um, start to start to sprout up. I think that'll accelerate um, in terms of the infrastructure and being able to actually trade these from a, from an individual perspective. Um, probably in the next six to twelve months, depending on um, the depending on any uh, regulatory uncertainty that gets solved um, or the ways in which these things start to get issued. I think six to twelve months, you probably see a pretty robust secondary market start to um, develop for 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 these things. Incredible. Hmm. That's that's that is very exciting. Okay, if you could just give me a level setting and a brief explanation. So that was the the, the third use, the security tokens. The first were peer to peer, and then Web three point What is, if you could just break down the peer to peer use of these? Absolutely. So if you think about how you know one of the, I think one of the good examples for Bitcoin, and again, this is trying to be the more realist in the space. A lot of the arguments against Bitcoin are a bit overblown, like it's used for only illicit purposes. Um, you know, that's been debunked a number of different times in a number of different studies. Uh, but one thing that is important is that if you're going to use something peer to peer or you're going to use a different currency, right, you're going to go outside of the US dollar or the euro, the Swiss franc, things that are much more familiar with people, it has to offer some type of advantage, right? There has to be a reason why you would start using Bitcoin or another cryptocurrency. Uh, opposed to using just the traditional methods and traditional ways. One of the big advantages um, 
for using cryptocurrencies, something like a Bitcoin, is just the speed at which you can actually settle some of these things, right? So um, you can you can trade peer to peer on a global marketplace. So let's say you were a resident of um, some Asian country, and I was a repre- and I was a re- resident here in the U.S. You and I could trade peer to peer. I could send you Bitcoin in a matter of you know literally you know minutes to an hour, um, and you could have that in your your digital wallet that represents Bitcoin. Whereas if you go through this kind of global remittance process or actually, you know, cross-border payments, that process is typically pretty expensive and pretty long um, or, or a little bit longer. So what I think Bitcoin will serve as a really good use case for is kind of um, these larger scale transactions that require um, a number of different middlemen, number of different parties that um, will end up, Bitcoin will end up kind of reducing the transaction fee for some of these large, large um, um, transact, large value transactions, right? So you have these kind of multinational corporations, things of that nature. I think Bitcoin's going to be a really, really good kind of settlement layer. What I don't think, and I think this is where the other kind of crypto asset, cryptocurrencies have been developed is, I don't think we're at a point where, or in the near future at least, where we're going to see, you know, you're going out to a bar and you're buying a beer or you're, you're paying for coffee with Bitcoin. Um, and one of the big reasons is because, you know, it's, it's historically been pretty volatile. And the expectations for Bitcoin is that its price is going to increase because there's only so many that are going to exist, right? So as the demand for using cryptocurrencies and Bitcoin and institutions come into this market and invest in it, if Bitcoin's price goes from, you know, 6,500-ish today, we saw it run up to 20000 and, you know, at the, at the beginning of this end of last year, beginning of this year, you know, your incentive to actually use Bitcoin and pay for a cup of coffee where, you know, six months from now, it could be worth, you know, three or four cups of coffee um, is, is simply not going to be there. So what you need to see is the volatility of that, that of, of Bitcoin or these other traditional cryptocurrencies come down for them to actually be used as mediums of exchange. Mm-hmm. Um but over the long term, I think they offer a number of different benefits, um, especially when you have this now globally connected uh, you know, marketplace. I think Bitcoin and these other you know, potential larger cryptocurrencies um, can really kind of serve that use case where you cut out the middleman. And by doing that, um, you're able to actually reduce the transaction fees and make it a more efficient way in which we exchange value. I think that that's really interesting. That's that's an excellent way to think about it and look at it. As, as you were talking and, and, and describing using Bitcoin to pay for coffee, what popped into my head was, um, will we see maybe different tranches or different kinds of coins that come out? Some that are fixed in value, almost like a penny and then a hundred dollar. Do you, you kind of know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Yep. No, absolutely. And that's it's that's a really good point because one of the big arguments for you know Bitcoin itself specifically is there's only going to be 21 million ever, you know, kind of issued or, or mined. Um, so there's only going to be 21 million that exist. And that's including a lot of the ones that have already been lost um, and ones that, you know, you, you wouldn't necessarily be able to account for right now. So um, the interesting thing there is that y- y- there's a big kind of argument now about um, this anti-government sentiment, I want to say, because governments obviously are able to print, issue money. Um, they're able to, you know, issue fiat dollars, the U.S. dollar. Um, they're able to, to do that by, you know, uh, um, issuing debt, right, to finance, um, you know, to finance themselves. And so what's interesting here is I don't, we're not necessarily of the opinion that we're entirely, you know, anarchist and, and anti-government, so to speak, um, because there are a number of ways in which, you know, obviously governments, um, the ways in which they do things, do you think of the Federal Reserve, you know, th- they do serve a purpose, they do serve a role. So I don't think we're ever going to get to a point where you can entirely, you know, 
displace centralized governments. But right. I do think crypto will serve as a really good um, kind of complement to some of these to some of these uh, more established kind of fiat currencies. Um, and the, to, to your point or to your question, the types of cryptocurrencies that, that evolve, not only kind of on the supply side of things, so how many will exist. But what's interesting about Bitcoin is that you can actually it, it, one of the one of the benefits of it, one of the the pros is that you can actually, um, you know, look at the actual the underlying blockchain. You can see the information and the data on the underlying blockchain of Bitcoin, and so it's not actually an anonymous way to pay. This is this kind of debunks a, a big uh, argument about the illicit activity that goes on using Bitcoin. It's that if if you're still a, if you're a criminal and you're still using Bitcoin, um, you know, it's kind of an idiotic way to do things because that's what that's the the ledger itself, the Bitcoin ledger or distributed ledger, um, allows you to track. Where, how Bitcoin's transacted into which wallets. So it's actually a, a, a way in which it's very transparent in that sense. Um, so some of the ones that are developing, some of the other cryptocurrencies that are developing now are ones like Zcash, which has been around for a while. And it's similar to Bitcoin in that it has a fixed supply, but it uses a technology that essentially kind of shields these transactions. So you can't see who's transacting between um, two different parties, the amount that's transacted. So those types of cryptocurrencies are also starting to develop and they'll have their own use cases because if, if you're a business or a multinational corporation, you know, maybe you don't want your competitors to, if they are able to identify the wallet address that you use or a number of wallet addresses you use, they don't actually want to, you don't actually want them to be able to see who you're paying from a supply standpoint or see some of your daily, um, you know, day-to-day business transactions. So there will be, I think, a use case for some of these more privacy coins, these privacy cryptocurrencies. Um, but right now, it's, it's it's a pretty interesting argument of how you can get Bitcoin to scale so that people are using it for kind of a more peer-to-peer, you know, small micro transactions. But at the same time, keeping that kind of security um, that Bitcoin's, you know, are arguably most well known for. Nice. All right, Kevin, Savage Nation is ready for your difference making tip. What do you have for them? Yeah. So I would say, I mean, this maybe it doesn't come as a surprise, but I mean, I would suggest people, you know, it's not investment advice or anything like that, but just pick up a little Bitcoin, a little ether. There's, if anyone has any questions, obviously, you know, I'm a resource for them, but um, there's, there's kind of easier ways in which you can do that today. And the reason is, is twofold. I think one, the diversification benefits of this asset class, I really think are going to be, um, are going to come more to the forefront in, in, in the coming years. And we've seen it over the last five years, the argument, if you held, even just 5% of your portfolio in, in uh, Bitcoin, and you had you know 55% or so in equity and the rest in fixed income, um, you had not only higher total returns, but also your, your drawdown risk was, was lowered. Uh, but the second thing, and I think what's almost more interesting is, and this is how I got started, as I started to pick up some of these crypto assets, and these cryptocurrencies, um, I became just intrigued about not only how they traded, but um, the use cases for them, right? And so I started doing my own research and due diligence on, okay, what are the new you know, updates to Ethereum and why would somebody be using Ether? So I think just by holding these and just getting a little bit of exposure, it'll prompt people to actually do a, a bit of digging, a bit more research into you know, what the long-term potential of these of this new kind of emerging nascent um, asset classes. Well, that is great stuff. That definitely gets a come on. Come on. That is solid advice to, uh, or thoughts rather, just to, once you actually think about buying something, do your research. And once you actually do make the purchase, that's definitely how I learn. So I appreciate that. Well, Kevin, thank you so much for coming on. Where can Savage Nation learn more about you? 
Yeah, so you can learn more about us on our website, uh, DelphiDigital.io, .io, not .com. Uh, but you can also reach out to me on LinkedIn. Just search Kevin Kelly, Delphi Digital, or just Kevin Kelly should pop up. Um, I have a Twitter account. It's Kevin underscore Kelly underscore uh, two, uh, double I's. Um, I am the second, Kevin Kelly the second. Um, and yeah, I mean, you can reach out to me any any means, Twitter, uh, research our, or reach out to our team via email on our website or connect with me on LinkedIn. Excellent. Well, Savage Nation, if you enjoyed this as much as I did, show Kevin your appreciation and share today's show with a friend who also appreciates good ideas. Go to DelphiDigital.io, find him on LinkedIn, Twitter, and uh, I'll list those in all the notes of the show. Thank you again, Kevin. Awesome. Thanks, George. And until next time, keep fighting the good fight because we are all in this together. What's up, Savage Nation? Please support the show by subscribing, leave us a review, and definitely feel free to share us with somebody you think would like it. Come on.